Hey everyone, Rob Schulberg here. Welcome to the One Life Lesson Podcast, a series of interviews I'll be conducting with mission-driven business leaders, entrepreneurs, and educators throughout the Pacific Northwest and beyond to share their unique stories, inspiration behind their work, and the one life lesson they've learned along their journey that will hopefully resonate with you listeners out there. And if you do find the time to listen to this podcast, I encourage you to message me via Facebook or LinkedIn, as I'd love to hear your feedback on this pilot project I'm working on. So with that, let's get to the interview. My guest today is Cindy Thompson. She's the Vice President of Client Relationships at Cinder Staffing here in Beaverton, Oregon, and with over 25 years as a financial professional, has helped clients in both risk and tax management, expense reduction, and financial planning. Cindy has written dozens of published articles on financial planning and has presented on this topic at national and international conferences. Cindy, thank you so much for joining me today. It's such an honor, Rob. Thank you so much. So first off, can you take me through what initially inspired you to pursue a career in finance? Well, thank you. I think I was actually born into it because uh, both of my parents had severely stressful financial situations growing up. And I think through those lessons, they taught me a lot about how important it is to have a good overall financial health and picture and to do the appropriate planning to, to make your dreams come true. Sure. And throughout your career, I'm sure you've dealt with some rather interesting cases surrounding financial malfeasance or really just any kind of sketchy business practices. Can you describe a couple of these situations and kind of how you go about resolving these kind of interesting conflicts? <laughs> That's a great question. And, and one of the things that as I'm working with business clients, you know, it, it never brings me any satisfaction when I find out that someone has been stealing from them. But on the other hand, I'm I'm glad to help them resolve it and put the processes in place to uh, take care of it. So I've unfortunately dealt with everything from, you know, family members who would steal from businesses, um, which sometimes is pretty tricky because they have a lot more access than probably most normal employees would. And so in some cases, it was theft of inventory, and they would just assume it was okay to take things home and help themselves. And then for other cases, um, there were some power struggles between family members and uh, people have stolen just cash and other things. Uh, I've, I've had some scary situations where some of the cash that was stolen was actually money that was intended to pay uh, employee withholding. And so the IRS got involved and uh, there were legal battles and it, it's quite traumatizing. Yeah, I can only really imagine kind of the severity of those cases and kind of situations we, you know, don't necessarily think about on a daily basis. Uh, and so I wanted to pivot now. I understand you've spoken in front of large audiences about financial planning. You know, who are the people that you're addressing, uh, you know, about acting smart with their money? Well, honestly, I've, I've kind of developed a, a specialty in talking to people about student loans. And one of the reasons, I am actually the mother of two millennials. <laughs> and so between um, you know, talking with their friends and being present at those groups and being active in, in schools and that sort of thing, it seems like there isn't a lot of financial education. And what my biggest concern is, there are a lot of um, young adults, uh, as they start their career, 
having to deal with these massive loads of student loan debt. And it can really be emotionally draining and frightening and all that sort of thing. So I do gear a lot of my presentations towards how do we get a handle on that? And then how do we make sure that you have a plan to move forward and you can enjoy other parts of your life and start to plan for things like buying a house or traveling or, you know, the fun stuff. Sure. And you mentioned being a mother of two. Mm-hmm. You know, what can parents out there be doing to, you know, help instruct their kids at an early age? I think about my parents and how fortunate I was to learn about kind of the best practices of, of saving your money and not spending it immediately. You know, what, what can parents be doing to kind of help educate their kids before they're out on their own? I think that is the question of the day. That's amazing because it is all about those conversations that parents are having with them before they go into school. And so one of the things that's come out of all of the publicity around the ginormous um, student loan debt problems is that people are coming now in advance to, to talk to me about what they should do. And we're coming up with budget templates, how much money you're planning ahead and you know how much you need to take out in debt rather than just signing on the dotted line every new semester. And so I think it's planning. I think it's having those conversations with their parents to know who's paying what portion. You know, I've worked with recently graduated students that that wound up, they thought their parents were paying for college and it turned out that wasn't what happened. And so they, they never had a plan for all the student loan debt that they, they uh, left their university or college with. Yeah, student loan debt is certainly a hot-button topic, and it's certainly prevalent nationwide. According to a 2017 survey by the organization Go Banking Rates, 57% of Americans have less than $1,000 in their saving accounts, and 39% have no savings at all. And Go Banking Rates says that of young millennials, which they define as folks between the ages of 18 to 24, 67% have less than 1000 in their savings account, and 46% have $0. So, Cindy, does someone you are working with who is not financially literate whatsoever, someone who does not have the knowledge or skills to manage financial resources effectively, what would be your first piece of advice to them? Well, I think probably very first piece of advice is take a deep breath. You are not alone. Um, and honestly, it's refreshing to work with someone who just comes and says, you know, I don't know anything and I want to learn, right? And so there's lots of books, there's websites, there's podcasts like this. Um, I would take it, you know, one step at a time. And I also think that starting to write down your, your plans and trying to um, look online for some guidance for, um, you know, how do you how do you spend your money? So watching what you're spending, watching what you're saving, coming up with goals, uh, looking at your debt, I would focus on all of those. And there's some great calculators online, especially if you are in some debt, to put those, those amounts in a calculator and have it start to help you figure out what your monthly plan is. So in January, you pay $500 dollars for this or $300, you know, that sort of thing. And it'll show you when you actually will get it paid off. And it seems like a lot of banks and financial institutions out there do provide their customers with the resources to be able to manage their budgets, kind of see, you know, how they're spending in real time. 
As far as savings, one of the best tips that I have is to make sure that you make it as painless as possible. And so if there's any way at your employer that you can actually um, split up, say, your paycheck. So even if you start with $10, $15 a month, that starts you on a pattern of behavior that will continue to grow and be reinforced. And so if you can have $15 sent to a different savings account, one that you don't touch, and it's just designed for your savings, your emergency savings, or for a specific goal or something like that, it's great. You pay yourself first and um, you set it and you forget it. And it's it's phenomenal for how much that it can help you save. Um, there are some apps out there that will do the same thing. They'll round up purchases and deposit you know, that extra amount into your banking account. One thing that I really want to in- emphasize for the young adults in this audience is how much money you can save if you start at your age. Your, your age and the time that you have ahead of you is one of the biggest assets that you will ever have in your financial planning. And so starting this at this age will be one of the key factors in creating your financial future and its success. So please um, look at the, um, the doubling money examples that are on the web and things like that about how, how fast money grows with interest. Um, and hopefully that will motivate you. I know a lot of the younger adults that I've worked with uh, really have an aha moment when they see how much potential they have for um, creating financial wealth because of their age. Now, in addition to stocking away money, a lot of millennials and recent college grads also have to address student debt. Uh, and actually, student loan here estimates that about 44 million American borrows are in debt, which equates to just under $1.5 trillion, which to kind of put that in perspective is about $620 billion more than the total U.S. credit card debt. So it's estimated that an average graduate from the class of 2016, so my graduating class, has just north of $37,000 in student debt, which apparently is up 6% from the year before that. So with that said, Cindy, what are some strategies that recent college graduates can implement into their financial practices that will help them steadily reduce their debt while also being able to save, kind of finding that happy medium? Right. And again, that's a really great question because it's it's a tough choice. And especially if you're kind of haunted by the debt, there's some insistence that maybe you just want to get the debt paid off and worry about everything else. But you really do need to strike a balance because if you get yourself in trouble and don't have emergency savings, that can escalate other financial issues that, that you don't want to see. And so, for example, one case that I worked with was a young woman who was putting most of her income towards her student debt when I met met her. And she was, um, you know, super excited about this and it was pretty great. But the reason she and I started having conversations was because she had gotten behind on her car payments and they had started to threaten that they were going to take away her car. So Rob, this is where we really need to focus on balance because you really have to look at your entire financial situation and make sure that you're planning ahead and covering everything 
because what this particular girl was looking at was a serious domino effect. If she lost her car, she lost her way to get to work, which would impact her income. And so, you know, I always really want to reinforce how important it is to look at the balance and make sure that um, you are taking care of all of your financial situation and and also focusing on paying off your debts as well. But but do that as a balance within your life as it exists today. And I'm glad you brought up the point about folks who are trying to pay off their student debt too quickly and possibly mm-hmm. missing other payments like rent or car payment, like you said. I know it can be kind of daunting to see that giant lump sum that you owe back to the Fed. And so uh, I know for myself, it's easy to want to you know pay that back you know sooner rather than later. But like you said, kind of having a steady uh, you know progression of payments sounds like it's the really kind of effective way to go. Yes, paying those back. Well said. So for student loans, what I usually recommend is a four-step process, and it's pretty simple in in theory. Um, it does take some work on your part, but it it can be very helpful. And with a lot of the people that I've worked with, they'll <laughs> they would usually come into my office and they've got slumped shoulders and they can't make eye-to-eye contact with me because they're absolutely sure that their student loans are the worst I've absolutely ever seen, and that. That's never been true. Uh, I, among my financial professionals, have heard of, you know, student loans in the million plus range, um, and that's usually for a couple that both uh, have student loans. But I, I've seen it all, and generally speaking. You know, it's great after the the meeting with them because then their shoulders are perked up, they have a plan, and they're pretty excited. So this is the method that we use um, when I work with someone like that. So the first thing we want to do is make sure that you have all of the important information for each of your loans, and sometimes that'll be in one website, but you know it may be twelve or fourteen loans depending on on how those came through during your school years. And we want to organize and review that. And that would include things like what's the interest rate, um, what are you paying, how long do you, you know, are you planning to take to pay that off, things like that. Then we want to create your strategy for paying those loans off and see which ones it makes sense to target, maybe paying off sooner rather um, than later. And at the end, and this is a really important part because this is the best part of what I do is celebrating when those student loans are paying off and you've met those milestones because I've had people literally, you know, run circles around my office just screaming. They were so exciting, excited when that final payment uh, was made. And, you know, it's a pretty tremendous accomplishment to pay those off. And especially when people have been able to come up with a plan and get them paid off a lot sooner while while also balancing that, um, you know, they're not jeopardizing their current financial picture because they've, they've spent all their cash to pay their student loans. And for those who have recently successfully paid off their student loans, what tips should people be aware of regarding maybe setting up a Roth IRA versus a traditional IRA and really just the importance of saving for retirement? Great question. With a Roth IRA, you are taxed today on your contributions. So these start out smaller, but your earnings and distributions should be tax-free in retirement. 
Conversely, the traditional IRA allows you to put money aside now tax-free, so it's a larger amount that will grow. When you start to make withdrawals during retirement, these will be taxed at your income tax rate. So part of the conversation when making a decision between these two revolves around what you think tax rates will be like when you're retired, which could be a really long way off in the future. One option is to have some funds in both traditional and Roth IRAs, which could give you some strategic flexibility during your retirement to adapt to the current tax rates. Um, and, you know, one of the things we were that you asked about, too, was the um, how important it is to start thinking about retirement at your age. And I just want to emphasize again the importance of an asset that time is for every young person listening today. And as you are trying to, you know, kind of get your feet under you with your financial foundation, to always be aware of the opportunities that that you may have now, such as an employer who matches your contributions to a retirement savings plans. Some employers match dollar for dollar your contributions, you know, up to a certain amount. And that right there is a 100% return on your money that year. So that's really important to try and take advantage of. And when you do start saving for retirement early, you have such a tremendous opportunity for the money you invest to grow dramatically over your lifetime. It really, um, if you look at some of the compounding charts and things like that on the web, you'll see that with just a very methodical plan at an early age, you, you can create assets, you know, worth a million plus dollars just by starting early and letting the money compound and grow and do do the heavy lifting for you. And whether it's a Roth IRA, regular IRA, or even a 401k mm-hmm. plan through work, do you recommend investing in a, you know, riskier uh, plan that's maybe kind of higher risk, high return, especially for younger folks who have kind of more time to kind of take on riskier investments since time is on their side, or is that really just personal preference? So I think a lot of that is absolutely personal preference because if if someone advises and maybe they've worked out the math and think the probability is that this is going to be the best um, investment. The person who owns that financial product is still the one who who has to decide if they can sleep at night, right? And if we have another market downturn, and I would expect, you know, we have ebbs and flows. And during the last market downturn, I I had calls with many people who really got so nervous and and just wanted to sell it all and you know, the thought was, well, wait, you don't need that money for 20 years. Why would you pull it out now and guarantee that you're going to lose all that money? And, you know, and obviously look at where our stock market is today. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a challenging situation. And so I really encourage people to think about their risk um, factors and think about really their comfort levels. And for me, boring is okay. I mean, if you, if it's an index fund, and it's it's just reliable and 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 it, it does the job and you're looking for 30 years you know before you need to pull it out 
um, that's okay. I mean, that's that's better than a savings account that's making you know half a percent. Um, but again, that's such a personal question because it depends too on making sure they have enough an emergency savings fund and have a nice balanced portfolio so they can you know ride out the uh, ups and downs of the market. And then mentally, they need to be prepared to do that. And for the most part, the market's been performing quite well, you mm-hmm. say, in the last year. I think a lot of folks, too, are out there thinking or kind of wondering it's just a matter of time before the market kind of corrects itself. So then can one assume that the market's always going to go up? <laughs> well, we can look historically at what has happened, which, if it predicts the future, would support the market going up eventually. I would really focus on being financially resilient and trying to create your own financial freedom in a planned, methodical way. This means being intentional and vigilant about preparing yourself for any financial situation that might occur. These could be setbacks, such as you lose your job, or they could actually be opportunities, like you got a bonus you weren't expecting, or a gift, or maybe a small inheritance or something like that. You'll also want to look and create the goals that you have for your life and develop a plan on how to get there. When you're doing this, be as specific as possible and create timelines for yourself and really take the time and put some work into your plan. I actually still have the first financial plan I wrote for myself 30 years ago, and it's incredibly inspiring and motivating to know that we accomplished it, and then we wrote another one. So I, I really uh, I wish and hope for everyone to have that same thing, and I think that financial freedom is, is the goal. I, I think that's what you should be going for. You can do any job you want to do, but then you have the financial freedom to actually... Just do what you want to do. And what's something that I've heard, Cindy, is that millennials should maybe look at investing in riskier assets, kind of the higher risk, higher return, or there's a potential for that since younger folks have more time to kind of make up ground. Is that, am I kind of accurate <laughs> there, or what's your take on that? Um, you know, that's a great question, and risk is such a personal subject um, and definitely a personal preference. I first want to make sure that you have a really solid financial foundation, which means that you have money set aside in your emergency savings so that you know you can weather, you know, any particular set, um, you know, situations that come up, such as losing a job or, or having something, you know, a car fail on you and suddenly having to come up with a new down payment. Um, and as you look at those investments, the first thing I want people to do is to actually make sure they understand the investment. And that means both the potential for the investment, which is, you know, what it what it could bring to your your wealth and your assets, but also to understand the risk. And I personally am a huge fan of sleeping at night. And so if you have investments that are really risky, you need to know how you're going to react if the stock market drops. You need to know if you can mentally ride the ups and downs of the market. And if it's truly part of a long-term strategy, are you going to be able to sit there and watch it really slide and and just know that, that this is part of your plan and that you're watching it? Um, 
and for me, I like to build up the bulk of my portfolio with reliable and somewhat called boring <laughs> investments, um, and that's perfectly okay. If I do look at investing in something that's very risky, I might only allocate a small portion, you know, of my investment cash towards it, and I would know that I'll have to be okay if it goes down steeply in value or potentially you lose it all. So for me, I'd, I'd rather see kind of a laddered and layered plan where you make sure you've got your solid financial foundation, and then you learn as much as you can about investing. You understand the investments that you're putting your money into, and you go for that long-term Term, fairly reliable growth. And then if you'd like to, you know, dabble a bit in some riskier investments um, after you've done your homework and your research and you understand um, what you're putting at risk, then um, I think, you know, that's, that's an interesting part of a portfolio. And for me, it's a small part of my portfolio. So we've covered student loans, talked about savings accounts, you know, saving for retirement, maybe investing. Is it reasonable to think that young professionals can be doing all of these? Or again, is that just totally dependent on the individual's overall income and financial situation? That's an interesting question because, you know, I've seen situations where maybe the income isn't that high, but people have been very creative. And to me, it goes back to that financial planning and the goals and the drive to achieve them. So, for example, I know, you know, millennials that have chosen to move back with their parents while they save to buy a house. And to me, I, I, I would much rather see that than them not be able to afford a house because they're paying rent and, and can't do that. So I, I would encourage creativity and um, knowing how much you make and living within your means or below your means so that you can then save and reach some other goals. Now to close, Cindy, throughout your 25-year career in finance, what are some of the greatest uh, teachings or kind of lessons that have served you well in terms of managing your personal finances as well as lessons that have also served other people around you well in managing their money? I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned about personal finance in both coaching other people as well as personally is that you need to take ownership of it. You, for example, have a right to ask questions about your finances, investments, banking, anything that you need to learn more about. And you should never, ever be embarrassed to ask those questions. Um, If you think about it, unless you've had a financial literacy class, the education out there for people to learn about financial literacy is almost non-existent. Um, we have some employers adding that now, and and other you know groups that are trying to help um, ease this gap with financial literacy. But take ownership of it, and I guarantee you, it will help you sleep better at night. It will help you create a plan that actually will create results, so that you can really create the future of your dreams and 
and pursue financial freedom. And when you have financial freedom, you're able to do what you're passionate and joyful about doing um, and not kind of enslaved to a job and just because you need the money. It's it's a pretty exciting thing to see that transformation among people. So that is what I would wish for everybody and, and probably one of the best lessons I've ever learned. Well, I thank you, Cindy, for contributing your input. I know there's thousands of Americans out there that could certainly use that insight as far as, you know, how to better manage their money. And certainly, like you said, such an important topic uh, to, you know, long term. Thank you, Rob, for having me today.